in an angel garment to redeem the angels. And then the angels asked the question, God, why are you so concerned about man? Because the angels don't understand that because of what they have experienced. But again, the angels were with God, the angels knew God, and the angels seen God do things that we have not yet seen. Now, I want to ask you this question this morning. What is the difference between Adam and you and me? What's the difference between Adam and you and me? And see, Scripture, boy, the more we look at Scripture, sometimes we have to get Scripture out of our theological thinking and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak as we read Scripture. Totally different. Remember, theology is always man's study of God. And that's good. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the scripture says the true teacher of scripture is the Holy Spirit. And I want to praise God for all the saints before me, the Charles Spurgeons, the Finneys, the Calvins, the Martins, all those before. That can go back and look at and see how they thought and so forth and study. Great. And try to even build upon what they share. So what is that difference between Adam and you and I? Adam and the angels even said that man was created a little lower than who? Than the angels. And and that is true. But we're also going to see a scripture where God makes a change. Where the angels were once here... Now, man is here. And the angel says, why are you so concerned about those who are so unfaithful? Those who sin. Those who disregard and transgress your word. Understand, sin is the transgression of God's word. Sin is willful disobedient to God's word. Sin is. But it's strange In Genesis 3, you don't find the word sin. What you find is the word death. It's death. Now, Adam and man, and what did Adam know that we didn't know? Turn back with me to Genesis. Chapter 2 and... Let's look at verse 22 for a moment. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to man. When you read chapter 1 of Genesis, the woman's not there. God finally comes to a point and says, it's not good for man to be what? to be alone. So Adam knew there was nobody else that was anywhere near like who? 
like himself. Adam knew that. And then Adam, God put him to sleep. Then God took a rib, made this woman, and it says that God brought this woman to the man. Why? And when Adam wakes up and sees this woman, only thing Adam could really say in the Hebrew was, wow! That woman was like nothing else he had seen running around God's creation. Hey. And the whole process is that Adam witnessed, in a sense, God's creation. Now remember, Adam wasn't there when God created heaven or the earth. Maybe me and the other things, but God was there. Adam was there when he created who? Eve. And he come out of his sleep and it says, God brought him this woman. And the only place that Adam knew that this woman would come from then was from who? From God, because God brought it to him. As you go a little further down in scripture in that text, it says something about Adam again. It says that in the cool of the day, God did what? Came to Adam. And guess what? Adam knew his voice. And it said, Adam hid from him. Now, Adam, in a sense, different from you and I, saw God create the woman. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen God create. <laughs> we know the woman getting pregnant and bringing forth life, and we know that, but we have not seen something made out of nothing. Adam did. But Adam also had another privilege that was similar to the angels. God came and he talked and he visited with Adam. He did that. So Adam knew of God's creation, creative power, but he also personally knew, in a personal way, God. Okay. Two things that we don't know. And Scripture's going to bear out something for us in Hebrews. The, the whole issue is this here. The angels saw God. They saw all his magnificent power. And when they sinned, he sent them straight to hell. Now, that devil gets loose. I want you to stay with me because we look at some scripture. I want you to see something. This devil changing. And Satan changes to meet whatever his environment is. Doesn't say this, he doesn't stay the same. He changes to meet what his environment is. That's how he deceives. So we're going to see a different Satan 
from what's in the garden and what we're dealing with in New Testament time. The deception that takes place. So Adam, though, he had this knowledge of God's creation. He has this knowledge of walking with God, talking with God. And see, we have not seen him, yet we believe. That's powerful. I want you to hang on to that. And then the question is, what is it that will separate us from God? What Satan found out in the garden is this. If that which God created would not believe him and trust him and obey him, what would God do? Though Adam sinned because of the counsel of Satan, at that point, Adam made a decision to believe Satan over who? Over God. You and I were constantly making that same decision. Do we believe God or do we believe Satan? The lie that Satan tells us. Now, now stay with me here for a moment. Thought. Did Satan put Adam out of the garden? No, he didn't. He didn't have the power to do it. But he, after Adam made his decision, knowing what God had said, and he did what he wanted to do, rather than please God and be obedient, What Satan saw was this. God put him out of his garden. That God separated himself from disobedient man. From that, I would conclude and suggest to you this. That Adam recognized this even from his own action and the actions of the angels in heaven, that if you disobey God, that you will break the fellowship with God. And that became a powerful tool for Satan to use. So Satan is always out to break this fellowship this relationship between us and God. He's out to break it. He's out to break it. And we need to be a people who are wise enough not to give Satan a foothold into our lives. Because if we give him just a little bit, he's going to break the relationship. He's going to break the fellowship. He's going to break the communion that we have. If we just give him a little bit. Now, Adam had no knowledge of Satan. Adam had no knowledge of Satan. 
But Satan had knowledge of Adam. Satan loves it when you say he don't exist. Satan loves it when people say there is no devil. (laughs) That empowers him. Now, what you and I have to come to a point to understand is that God says that Satan is a fallen angel. He is an angel that disobeyed him. He's an angel that wants to disrupt God's program. He's an angel that is angry and mad with God and will do anything against God and against the church or the people of God. You need to understand that. Because what Satan realizes is this. He can't go up and hit God. Satan can't go up and beat up on God. He can't hurt God personally attacking God himself. So how does he bring pain to God's heart and hurt God? By going after what? Do you catch the picture? Why it says, and we're going to go to the verse and we're going to talk about a little referring. He came not to help angels, but Abraham's descendants. Because it's Abraham's descendants that need the help. Abraham's descendants that needs the help. Glue that in your mind. That song we sung this morning, Lord, we need you. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, but when? Right now. I need you right now. If if you could have a glimpse of Satan's plan of attacking you and all the fiery darks that are coming towards you, all the stumbling blocks that Satan has in place to cause you to stumble, to get you off of God's plan, to get you somewhere else other than where God would have you to be. If you could see that, it would blow your mind. That's the point. It would frighten you. It is very true. God has a plan for you. But what oftentimes we don't understand is this. Satan has a plan for us. How many of you understand there's a lot of people around you or in your life that don't want to see you be successful? You need to understand that. There's a lot of people with envy, jealousy, anger in their heart, and they don't want to see you what? Succeed. That's a reality. That is true in the spiritual world. Satan don't want to see you draw close to God. He cannot stop your conversion or your salvation, but he can keep you at a distance. And by keeping you at a distance, you don't receive the full inheritance or the blessings 
that God really wants to give to you. And Satan knows he can't break your fellowship with God, but you can if he sets the stage right. (laughs) That he can hinder you. That's why the scripture says that the righteous may fall seven times, but how often do they get up? Seven times. That's why scripture talks about us stumbling because we're going to stumble, we're going to fall. But as we learn about Satan and his tactics, as we learn about the goodness of God and God's will for our life, he becomes less of a hindrance to us. But it's when we will not take note of him that he will captivate our lives and ruin it. And a lot of us will be just like Corinthians says, we just make it into heaven. We just escape the fire. Now, go with me and look at Genesis 3.1. Genesis 3.1. Now, I want you to see Satan in Genesis. I want you to catch the environment. Do you think Adam was used to snakes? Yeah, part of God's creation. You think he was used to the lions and the elephants or whatever type of animal that there was? Yeah. Adam was used to that. And I imagine by this time, with Eve being with him, she didn't got used to him too. There was no fear about the animal or the snakes. When I was over in Ecuador, they bought this big old python in. And... Boy, some of the guys, boy, they wanted to get their picture with the python wrapped around them, you know, and so forth. When the guy come over to me, no, <laughs> get it away. <laughs> hey, it would just be me that the python wouldn't like me. <laughs> and, and I told him, no, I don't need a picture of that, you know. But here is Satan. In the garden. But look how scripture defines Satan. Now the serpent. It didn't say angel. It didn't even say fallen angel. Satan now has disguised himself as what? As a serpent. Something that Adam and Eve in a sense are not scared of. Something that they're familiar with. Now, one of the tricks and deceptiveness of Satan is this. He'll come to you with that which you are familiar with. And you'll be comfortable around it, so you think. That's why you got to pick up the signs that are of Satan. That's why you got to pick up the signs that are evil. That's why you got to be able to notice the actions of people and classify them. Some people are strictly workers of iniquity. You need to be able to see that and classify it. Some people just love sin. And they're going to be involved in sin and they're going to be trying to draw you into sin. You need to be able to understand that and classify it. Some people are going to be encouragers. 
They're going to be encouragers in the right things, not the wrong things. And you need to be able to understand that. Because they're trying to encourage you to do better. They're already in a position. But they're trying to bring you where? And Satan will give you this, like, oh, they think they better than you. Well, they are. They got more money than you. They got more stuff than you. They are in a better position than you are. So it, it don't take nothing from them to try to do what? Help you come up to where they are. They're not losing anything. But Satan gives us this old attitude. Oh, they think they're better than me. I don't need them. That dumb stuff. And we need to recognize that. Because only thing that's happening is this. It's a scriptural. Am I my brother's keeper? And if I see my brother in a fallen state, the scripture tells me to do what? Yeah. Yeah. And we need to catch that picture up here in our head. See? But what does Satan do? He comes in the garden as a serpent. Something that Adam and Eve are familiar with. Now what might have been strange about this serpent is that it's talking to him. But yet they're familiar with it. Now, go to 2 Corinthians 11.14. 2 Corinthians 11.14. See, see if you pick it up here now. No wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of what? He masquerades as what? Yeah. Now, 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 now just stay with me for a moment in thought. He masquerades as an angel of light. Jesus comes to us as the light of the world. All the angels that we've seen come, they came, even when they come to the thing of dealing with men, they come in a light. He comes as an angel of light, not revealing himself per se, but something that we think that would be good and acceptable. And we somewhat take him in. Because he comes as an angel of light. He changed and he's adapting himself to that which you and I will accept. Just like he changed himself to be acceptable in the garden, he changes himself in New Testament to be acceptable in that which we accept because if it's in the light, it has to be what? <laughs> yeah. Because everything we read about being in the light is of God and is, of, and is good. And Satan masquerades himself or hides himself under this thing of light that we would then accept him. You following? Okay. Is it clicking any? Okay. Now, 
Go to John 10.10. Because this is not something just new to New Testament. This happened to Adam. Now, keep this thought in mind. Job says, that death and life are in the hands of who? God. God taken, God given, period. Hey, death is not in the hands of Satan. In the hands of God. Hey, in the hands of God. Though God may use Satan as an instrument to carry out his will. But understand, Satan can do no more than what God allows. In John 10.10, the thief comes. Now before I go any further, I want you to think on this. What did he rob from Adam? What did he rob from Adam? One, you said life. Yeah, because when you get over into Genesis 5, 5, it says Adam only lived to be 930 years. Where if he would have still been in the garden. So in a sense, Adam had eternal life in the garden. Outside of the garden. He only lives for 930 years and then died. Even though... It says the moment that he ate the fruit, he what? He died. You're out. Not Satan's choice, God's choice. Because when we sin, we don't sin against Satan. We sin against God. It goes on in 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal. He stole a relationship. Where God would come and walk and talk with him, no longer is God walking with him, per se. He stole the peaceful relationship between him and God's creation. Because those animals see him as a good stake now. Hey. There's something that has changed. Hey. We're in the garden. I'm going to share something with y'all. All of us, even me, we would fit good in the garden because we hate work. Yeah. Amen. And it says that Adam then would learn his living by the what? Where in the garden, he didn't. Was he robbed? Yes, he was. Let me share something with you. After Adam has put out the garden, Adam really begins to see what he had lost. After Satan deceives us and calls us to sin, then we begin, maybe, to see what we have lost. Maybe we'll see it. Some of us, is what Timothy speaks about, that we've been burned so bad that we're callous and there's no more feelings. Don't get there. 
where you don't feel guilt. You don't feel shame. You don't feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit because you have caused your heart to become so hard towards God. Don't get there. Dangerous place to live. But he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full or the abundance. So there's a difference here. But he defines what Satan is out to do. That he's out to destroy. He's out to destroy. 2 Corinthians 2.11. 2 Corinthians 2.11. get there. Because oftentimes we don't see it all. It's 2, I went 2.11. I put now, now, now look what he says. In order that Satan may not outwit us. Oh boy. He came as a serpent, disguised as a serpent to Adam. He comes to us as an angel of light. He comes to us as the father of lies, but he just don't tell us he's lying. And he says that he would not outwit us. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his what? Yeah. Now, let me share something with you. If you don't know this, you don't know Satan's schemes. And guess what Satan has separated us from? This word. Therefore, he tricks and deceives Christians constantly. Because we don't have his word hidden in our hearts that we may not sin against God. And we fall into every little trap and pit that he lays for us. Because we can't even recognize it as the work of Satan. You can't say unto Satan, get thee behind me unless you can see his work before you. And then, when Satan is really troubling you, the Lord says, if you'll draw nigh unto me, I'll draw nigh unto you. And what happens to Satan? Satan knows which fire to play with and which one not to play with. Now, do you somewhat see why we need help? Because if you could see Satan scheming against you, And understand this, Satan will be patient and wait for years to cause you to stumble. If he can pull one over on you that will cause you to separate yourself from God. If he can do something to you that will cause you to be angry towards God. If he will do something to you that will cause you to shut God out, he's going to do it. And sometimes it may take him time. But if he can hurt God by doing something to you. See, sometimes people can't do something to you, but they'll do something to your children. 
and they haven't even told you that they're holding something against you. But your child will come home and tell you, I don't know why so-and-so don't like me. I don't know why so-and-so do this to me. I don't want to go over there. You need to listen to your children sometime. Now, go to Hebrews with me. Hebrews 2 and verse 16. The scripture makes it very clear that we need help. He says, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. It's Abraham's descendants that he helps. Remember he says to us that the Old Testament is for our learning. Now, here we have Adam, 930 years old, then Adam dies. Then we have Noah, who doesn't have his first children, and many, there's, there's a lot of people between Adam and Noah. But Noah doesn't have his first child until he's 600 years old, 500 or 600 years old. Now, between Adam now, I want you to look at the knowledge that Satan gathers. Because Satan does not know the mind of God, but Satan can also act from how God acts. Now, what do oftentimes we say? We react to who? To people. We react to, you know, if somebody's kind to me, I'll be kind to them. If I know I got a tough boss, I kind of stay out of his what? His areas that put me in danger. If I know I have a pretty nice ball, we get along pretty good, we can speak in it. Boy, we build that relationship, and, but I respond and I react by what I know. Satan doesn't know the depths of God's mind and heart, nor do the angels. The only one is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> He says, boy, he helps Abraham's descendants. Tell me why. Here comes another why. Why isn't it Adam's descendants? The covenant starts with who? Abraham. The first covenant God makes with man, basically, starts with Abraham. Okay? You really don't see a covenant between Adam and God other than Adam, don't eat of what? This tree. But God enters a covenant with Abraham. Okay? That would go from Abraham now to the end of life. Okay? Because within Abraham's first covenant also comes the second covenant with Jesus Christ. Because it's promised in Abraham's covenant. Now, stay with me for a moment. What did Satan see take place that would encourage Satan 
to cause us to falter, to not be faithful. In Genesis, it says that Adam was created after the likeness of who? God. Adam knew no sin. When you get to chapter 5 of Genesis, it says that the children of Abraham were in the likeness, not Abraham, but Adam, were in the likeness of who? Adam. Now, what's Adam's state? Fallen sin. And when you get to Genesis 6, God says he's disgusted with who? With man, because all that is in man's heart is what? Is sinfulness. What did Satan witness that God did that he has not done since? Because of the sin of man. Say it, Beverly. The flood. And with the flood, he destroyed what? All humanity, but that of who? And Satan said, boy, if he'll do that, I just got to wrap it up a little bit now. Called men to sin, and God will do what? And God puts his rainbow up there to remind us that he'll what? Never do it again. But God showed us because, see, before the foundations of the world was ever laid, Christ was promised to come. Now, the Old Testament is for our learning. God showed us he will not tolerate sin. He'll wipe out everybody, need be. And the flood demonstrates God's punishment for sin and disbelief. Now, we don't have the floods like in the day of Noah, but we've seen some stuff that frightens us in the last couple of years. We've seen some stuff. But by the time we get to Genesis 12, we, we see this covenant between God and Abraham develop. And it's gone. Now, why do we need help? Let's go to 1 Peter, back to 1 Peter. One through eight. I'm sorry, eight and nine. First Peter chapter one, verses eight and nine. I'm not gonna get nowhere from this. Though you have not seen Who's he talking to? To us. Though you have not seen. What is it that you haven't seen? You haven't seen God's heaven. You didn't see God create. You haven't even seen God. The angels did. Adam did. We haven't. Let's go a little further. 
Though you have not seen him, you love. You love him. You love him. Now, that love is voluntarily. That you love him voluntarily. You have chosen to love God. There's two things he's going to bring out here that Satan tries to destroy in our lives. He says, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Love and faith. You believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your what? Your faith. Love and faith. Love and faith. Satan desires to destroy in you. Love and faith. Satan wants to destroy in you. Why? If you love me, you'll do what? Yeah. Diminish that love. Hey. Diminish the love and you will not follow the Lord's command. Satan is out to diminish your love for God. God said he has to be preeminent in your life. He has to be first in your life. You know, oftentimes when we fail, is when we put God second or third and put somebody else in God's place. And then it is faith that gives us the ability to believe that God is able even though we don't know how he will work it out. It is our faith that gives us hope in God that he's going to do it. That which we haven't seen. Go to Galatians 5, and verse 6. Galatians 5. Hold on to Peter also. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any what? Any value. Doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. Hey. Look what he says now. The only thing that counts is faith. Expressing itself. How? Yeah. Let's put that in order. Faith expressing itself in love. God gives me a command. I don't know if I can trust this or not. But it is my love for God that I keep his command. And his, so I step out on his command by what? By faith. And I'm stepping out there by faith because I love him. Love expressing itself through 
faith in keeping my commandments. Love expressing itself in faith by carrying out my word. Love expressing itself by keeping my commandments and doing them. I'm losing all kind of time. We just have to pick some back. Boy, let's go. Love, Love and respect, they have to be here. They have to be right here. They have to go together. Love can't be up here and respect down here. Oxymoron. They won't work together. Love and respect has to be here. Elaine and I have to love and respect one another on this level. Not that I love her on this level, but disrespect her on this level. It doesn't work. She can't love me on this level and disrespect me down here on this level. They have to be here together. And when I take the respect of God, it's the fear of God and the love of God. It's on that same level. Because they have to go together. So God said, if you demonstrate that you love me, what you are showing for me is a high reverence and respect for me. Because they go together. They go together. Now, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit because I think you'll catch it. Because that love and respect is here for God. There's a different love that God has for those who come through Christ Jesus than those who are just in the world. Now, follow me in thought just for a moment. God so loved the world, so he expressed that. He loves everybody. John tells us God is love. Okay? So he loves everybody. But then when you get to Romans 8 1, it talks about God's wrath is not appointed upon who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Now there's a difference there. I'm in Christ. And scripture will bear it out that he loves us through Christ. Okay? Though he loves everybody, he's loving those who are saved through Christ. Now, in reality, we're no different really than those who are what? Unsaved. The difference is, is Jesus Christ. That I'm in Christ. Now, stay with me in thought. Human nature. A man... And you'll see it in Genesis, back again with Abraham, with Sarah and Hagar. You'll see it. We are called the children of God. And we come through the church that is the bride of God. Here are the children now. And, and sometimes those words... Run together. We are the bride, but we are also the children who come through the church, through the bride. Stay with me. With Adam and Hagar, 
when it came to Isaac and Ishmael, was there a division. Yet, Abraham loved both of his sons. And God assured him that he would even make a great nation of who? Ishmael. But Isaac was the one that would receive the wealth and the promise of who? Of Abraham's. Of Abraham. Now follow with me. Because says what God shows in scripture, boy, when you really look at it, he brings it into the natural. A man may father children outside here without ever getting married. But then all of a sudden, he marries somebody different. The one that he marries is the one that he chose to marry. And he has chosen to father children with that one. When it comes down to it, where does his wealth go? To the ones that he fathered out here or the ones that he chose who he married? You catching the picture? His wealth will follow the one that he chose to marry and the children there, not the children that he had out here. And you can see that in the natural. Because out here, it was for my pleasure and my fun. Over here, it was because of my commitment. And where my commitment is and my love and my heart really is, is where my wealth is going to follow. So oftentimes we'll see children who were older are left out of the will or the wealth of their father because they were never connected by the choice of the man really choosing that one to be their wife. Boys, if we can see it. And here is God. He's given us his wealth because the man Jesus chose us or his son chose us to be his children to be his bride, to be. And therefore the inheritance follows us, not the world. Abraham's wealth followed Isaac, not Ishmael. Am I too far? I tell you, I was in my office just, just jumping up and down on some of this stuff I've been going through. Hey. Hey. because if we understand what Satan is trying to rob us from he's robbing our inheritance he's robbing the plan that God has for us he's robbing the wealth that God has for us he's stealing it from us Where I put my Bible? I better go back to it and get it. Let me get ready to close out and we'll pick up next, next, next week with it. But because what we need to understand it is that love that Satan wants to stop. He wants to stop my love flowing to God. Usually when you're in sin, you're not in his word. 
When you're in sin, you're not really praying and talking to him. So you know the relationship is broken. You know when you have a friend and all of a sudden they're not calling you no more. They're not stopping by no more and you're not stopping by no more and you're not calling no more. You know something is what? In the way. And until that is moved out of the way, you don't have that closeness again. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Let's go to Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then he comes back and he tells us, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Because see, when I'm in sin, it stops the exercising of my faith. And just living don't please God. It's me obeying God that pleases him. And Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And in a sense, when I sin, I say to myself, God really don't exist. Why? He can't punish me. He can't do anything to me. So Satan brings us to a place even of disbelief about God and what God has said. It has no real value. It doesn't weigh in my life. It doesn't mean anything in my life because God's not going to do anything. If we were to pick up statistics, Elaine and I, we were asking, she was asking me something about African-American race. I went and drew, I keep paper articles, I keep some magazines, I keep things. And back in 1993, it was talking about the disaster of the children because of the lack of the fathers being present in their life. And it was talking about the destruction of the black race because of the male. And now we're 20 years later and we are seeing the destruction. If we open our eyes, we really see it. They listed a child without a father most likely will grow up in poverty, will grow up with anger, will grow up not finishing high school, and will most likely between the ages of 15 and 23 will be in prison. And our prisons are loaded Our schools graduate less than 1% African-Americans. You can go on down through statistics and you can see from 93 to now the damage that has been done if you look at it. And those are things sometimes we don't study and we don't look at. Go to 1 Peter 10, 12 with me, and then we'll pick back up. I just want to finish this here. 1 Peter 10, 12. And, and, and if we can catch it from here a little bit about the angels and, and what's taking place. Whew. 10 through 12. He says, 
concerning this salvation. So what is he talking about? Salvation. When you get into Ephesians 3.10, and then you look over into Ephesians 2.8, in 3.10 through 12, it talks about the church, the, the mystery, that, that which God had kept secret. And what God had kept secret down through the ages, even from the prophets, was this thing of salvation that would come through the gospel. And the gospel would come through the church. And the whole process is that this thing would be a witness to man. In a nutshell now, the church carries the gospel. The gospel carries, oftentimes we talk about death, burial, resurrection of Christ. When you talk about the gospel, it uses the word death, including the word life, because it's understood you cannot have death without having what first? Life. So the whole issue is the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, that that whole story is in the gospel. But then in that story of Jesus Christ is salvation. For there's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved, and that is in Jesus so in the gospel, that mystery is this salvation that the prophets didn't even understand or even the angels who looked from outside seeing the work of God in bringing about this salvation of man because Satan thought he had man in the garden. Satan thought he had man with the flood and God steps in and keeps working. Follow with me here. 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, concerning what? Salvation. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, the favor of God that was going to come to you, not because of anything you did that would bring it, but because God himself extending his favor to us. Searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Now, it's the Spirit of God that's doing the work with these prophets, but not revealing everything. Let's go a little further. In them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving who? Themselves. But they were only being messengers. They were just foretelling of something that they couldn't even grasp. They understood the sacrificial or of sacrificing the lambs and the animals. They understood that. What they could not grasp or understand was the suffering of Christ and Christ becoming that sacrificial lamb of God. They could not foresee that. The suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but who? You. Me. The future. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those, now, now listen to this part, by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit 
sent from heaven. Now catch this last part. Because see, the angels are still watching God at work. The angels are still watching and they're watching in amazement. Why would you save that person? Why would you save that? You made them lower than us. Now you're exalting them to here. And we'll see that next week in scripture. And the angels are scratching their head over the work of God. Because they knew when they sinned, they were sent to where? Straight to hell. And here comes Jesus. Could you imagine them seeing him in heaven? Clothing himself in humanity and stepping down here as a child. They're witnessing something that they would have never, never thought of or imagined that God would do in order to save us. That he would robe himself in the humanity that he created and become like us in a sense. And he says, sin from heaven, even the angels long to look into these things. The angels can't understand it. They see salvation taking place. But they're on the outside of it. They can never understand the grace of God. The mercy of God. They will never understand that grace and that favor of God being upon them. They'll never understand the forgiveness of God. They'll never understand God giving unto us his Holy Spirit. He'll never understand that God takes us and lifts us up. And the angel says, why are you mindful of man? Why are you mindful of man? Why do you even give a thought towards man? Why do you even consider man? When all you have to do is just a wave of a hand, send a flood to wipe them all out. All you have to do is give a wave of a hand and send a wind of destruction. All you have to do is open the earth's mouth and it will swallow them up. Why are you concerned about sinful man? And love them so. And love them so. And when you begin to see how the angels... Think about what God is doing for you and I. Boy, it sets your heart aflame. It begins to work on you that God would love you so, that God would care for you so, that God would watch over us. Why? Why save such a wrench as I am? Isaiah said, we're all nothing but just filthy rags. Why? He loves us. And he gave his son for us. And it's because of his son and his son only that we are saved and we are loved by God. Father, may you, O God, minister to us. And may you, O oh Lord, speak to our hearts.
of the wonderful salvation that you have planned for us. And may we not take it for granted. But Lord, may we understand that, Lord, those who are in Christ Jesus are loved through Christ. That we are loved because of the work of Christ. We are cared for because of the work of Christ. We are blessed because of Christ. And the angels could have never seen God himself robing himself in humanity to come to save us. But we've never seen your magnificent work. We've never seen what the angels have seen. And therefore, Lord, you help the children of Abraham to understand. You help the children of Abraham to believe. You help the children of Abraham because you have entered into a covenant with Abraham that he would father many children, many nations. And because of the covenant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we've been clothed by his righteousness, that you will not destroy us, but that you will work with us until we see Christ face to face. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our stumbling. Forgive us, O God, for our lack of love for you. Forgive us, O God, for breaking your commandments. Forgive us, O God, for not being obedient to you. Forgive us, O God, for not walking uprightly with you and living the holy lives that you called us to live. Forgive us, I pray, Father, and restore us, O God, to the position that you would have us to be and that we would live in that position glorifying you. Lord, help us to understand how great a God we have the privilege of serving. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and never accepted Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. Because through Jesus Christ and him alone, you are saved. And if you accept the Lord, nothing will separate you from his love. Though Satan will do things in your life, Satan will scar you. Satan will fire every fiery dart towards you. Satan will take a job from you. Satan will take children from you. Satan will rob you of your wealth. Satan will do everything he can do. Look at Job. He, would, he did everything he could do to Job. But Job would not lose sight of his God and the love of his God. No matter what Satan might do to you in this life, don't lose sight of your relationship with the God that has saved you. And if you've never accepted him, 
He says, today is the day of salvation. Would you come? Would you come? Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking to us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As we prepare to take the offering, we want to thank the Lord for giving unto us that we can give back to him a portion of that which he has blessed us with. For he has blessed us tremendously. And we just want to say thank you, Lord, for his loving kindness. Father, as we prepare to give to you, we pray, Father, that you would take our offering and you would use it to glorify yourself, to take your message, O God, and deliver it into our hearts and around the world, around the community, that, Lord, you would use this as a blessing to others. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Just put all your trust in him. God will take care of you. God will take Thank you.